Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Well, good afternoon, everyone. It is Wednesday, August the 2nd, 2023. It is currently 5.11 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. August the 2nd. Does that make you happy? Does that make you excited? Are you getting excited about school starting again? Are you getting, depending on where you live? I remember at least when I went to school, we didn't start back to like September. What is this stuff you have to start back in August? That seems like almost like a violation of human rights if you're if you're a teenager, if you're a kid. What is that? But but some people will be starting back to school soon. Are you excited? Are you just happy that it's warm? I, I don't know how you feel about the fact that it's August the 2nd, but if you are me... <laughs> I'm I'm in a little bit of a panic. I, I, you see, we're supposed to be finishing our summer study of the book of Jeremiah and Lamentations by the end of August. It's August the 2nd. Do you want to know where we are in our summer study of the book of Jeremiah at Lamentations? We are in Jeremiah, and we really have only completed the first 13 chapters. We've offered two kind of summaries of chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17. We were going to work on another kind of kind of a really maybe quick summary through 14, 15, 16, and 17 tonight at Victory Baptist Church, but things didn't work out. So I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? So uh, for the next couple of hours, I'm going to probably break this maybe into two broadcasts, maybe two broadcasts. I may try to do two back to back. We're going to work on Jeremiah 14, 15, 16, and 17. Uh, and and maybe we can finish this in one. I don't know. But we're going to try to do a, a quick work through of chapter 14, 15, 16, 17. I would like on Sunday morning when I arrive at Victory Baptist Church, Sunday school, Sunday morning, and Sunday night, I would hope maybe we could go 18, 19, 20. I don't know if we can get from chapter 14 to chapter 20 by the end of Sunday night. That still puts us a long ways away, but it would be a lot closer. So Obviously, we're going to have to extend this a little bit. I, I don't know. I don't know how we're going to work it. But in some ways, I'm like, oh, I'm in a complete panic. In other ways, I'm like, you know what? All that really matters is that we're learning something, that we're working in it. And if the timeline gets messed up, the timeline gets messed up. In some ways, it makes me feel like a failure as a teacher, because as a teacher, it's my responsibility to stick to that timeline that I self-imposed on myself in the first place. But if I'm going to impose a timeline, it's my job to try to complete it. So maybe we'll have to start grouping chapters together and, and utilizing other things to get us through this. We'll have to see. But put it this way, how it's going to play out, you don't know and I don't know. So you want to keep paying attention just to see how it plays out. Is the summer of Jeremiah, is the summer uh, summer 2023 study of Jeremiah at Victory Baptist Church in the Theology Central podcast. Is it going to end on time? Is it going to end in a dramatic way? Or is it just going to slowly fall apart and end it with a whimper? Stay tuned. Tune in. And then you'll find out. Maybe is that my marketing ploy? Is that how I, is that how I promote it? Hey, you got to keep listening to see how it's going to end. You don't know. We don't know how it's going to end. I don't know. I, that's probably not a good way to, to, to promote a Bible study. Hey, once you get start, you, once you start this Bible study, you'll want to stay tuned to see how it ends because guess what? We have no idea. But in some ways, I, I, I don't know. I, well, we'll just see. Well, hopefully it's going to be, uh, it'll end in somewhat, I don't know if a dramatic way, but hopefully a beneficial way. And hopefully it's been a good summer in the book of Jeremiah. Now, remember, a lot of this is on you. If you haven't been reading the book of Jeremiah this summer, okay, well, I, I can't do that for you, right? But if you've been reading it and reading it and reading it and reading it, I, I know that has to benefit you to some level because you're reading the word of God, right? And if you've been meditating on it and thinking about it and doing the assignments that I have been giving you, which haven't been that many, then I, I I feel that you should have benefited to some level. Now, if you haven't done anything, well, then 
There's only so much I can do for you, but hopefully you have. So here's what we're going to do. Since everything kind of got messed up tonight and it's not going to work out exactly as I planned, instead of taking how I plan to work it and try to translate that over to a podcast, here's what we're going to do. Way back, uh, what, two years ago, three years ago, through the Bible ministries, Dr. J. Vernon McGee's ministry through the Bible, they gave me permission to use their content. In fact, I could just grab J. Vernon McGee's teaching on Jeremiah 14, 15, 16, 17, and just hit play, and I could go... I could go do anything. I could go to Sonic and get a drink. I could go do anything and then just come back and go, there you have it. But I'm not going to do that. However, we are going to use his content. I've got his teaching on Jeremiah 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, and 19 queued up. We're focusing on 14, 15, 16, and 17. We won't probably use it for 18 and 19. And he's obviously moving through these chapters at a rapid pace because I think he goes from 12 to 19 and a little over an hour, all right? So that means he's going to be pouring through these relatively quick, but it may it may work for us. So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to utilize J. Vernon McGee, but we're going to do it in kind of like a a sermon review way, right? Well, I'll be critiquing, analyzing. I may, who knows, an assignment may jump out of this. Who knows what's going to happen? Because remember, I haven't reviewed the audio in advance, so we're going to listen to it together. And then um, we'll utilize this. And it may serve as our final summary of Jeremiah 14, 15, 16, 17. We were going to do it in person tonight. But since that didn't work out, I, I don't want to delay this till Sunday and then do our summary. So this is really going to serve as our summary for 14, 15, 16, and 17. And, and unless I see something in there that I'm like, we, we have to work on, we'll see. Now, if you see something, in these chapters that you're like, look, I need some extra teaching on that. All you have to do is email me at newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com and say, hey, I need help on this or this. And guess what? Well, we'll add some additional teaching to it. So I don't know how long this is going to take. We're pro- for, for at least the first live broadcast, this one, I'm going to try to keep it right at the 60 minute mark unless I notice I could go an hour and a half and just finish it all out. If I can go, if I need to go, I'm not going to go beyond an hour and a half, but if I can, if I, between an hour and an hour and a half, that's how far we're going to go. So you need a Bible, you need a notebook, you need something to write with. You may need some reference tools. Not the, the bad thing is all of my Bible dictionaries, my handbooks, everything's at the church. So I don't have a lot of, <laughs> I don't have a lot of the tools I have here, but I do have an iPad next to me. So we'll, we'll see where this goes. It should be, it should be fun. We've already done two summaries over these chapters. We did a kind of a very fact-based summary. Then we kind of broke Jeremiah 14, 15, 16, 17 down in, uh, into four messages, four individual messages. And then in the middle of these messages, Jeremiah prays to God and God responds to Jeremiah. We kind of saw how that played out. We think it worked pretty well. Um, maybe not perfectly, but I think it's pretty, it worked pretty good. And, um, but we're going to see how Dr. J. Vernon McGee, how he broke this down back on his radio program called Through the Bible that was aired, well, it still airs on radio stations. It still serves as a podcast. And if you go to Through the Bible, hang on, let me, I don't want to give you the wrong website. If you go to through, if I can spell right, through the Bible, yeah, through the Bible, hang on, let me hear, yeah, here it is. If you go to, if it'll open, ttb.org, ttb, that's T as in Tom, T as in Tango, T, T, TTB as in Bravo, TT Tango Tango Bravo, TTB.org. Well, you have access to the Through the Bible program. All, all, remember, it was five years going through the Bible and then he would go through it again. All of the contents there, there's outlines, there's notes, there's books, there's everything you could want. I think they have their own app as well that you can download. I believe they have an app. Um, let me see here. I believe, see, resources, do they have an app? I believe they have an app. Let me see here. Let me look here. Their resources. Um, Well, there's all of their MP3s. Okay, I'm not seeing an app. I'm not seeing an app. I I would think they would have an app, but, but whether they do or don't, you can go to Through the Bible and you should be able to find it. Um, 
yeah, there you go. TTB.org, and you can look around, and you have access to everything uh, that they've done, and uh, I would highly recommend it. Whether you agree with everything J. Vernon McGee said or disagreed with everything J. Vernon McGee said, the fact is he spent hour after hour behind a microphone teaching people the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and and they make all of their content available for free. So, I mean, everything about that ministry, I mean, is awesome. And then when I asked for access to be able to use it, they were like, sure, you're free to use it. Just make sure you let everyone know it's coming to to you via Through the Bible Ministries, the ministry of Dr. J. Vernon McGee. And we greatly appreciate them allowing us to use it. Um, and so, I, again, I could just play it. I could just play it if I want. I could just play it. And, uh, but... Yeah, we're, we're glad that we can use it, and uh, we're going to, well, use it a little bit right now. We haven't used it much in our study of Jeremiah, but this is a great night to do so. A great evening, great afternoon. So I hope you're ready. I got three Bibles. I got a, a study Bible with some notes. I've got my iPad. I'm looking for any other resources I may have near me. Almost every other resource I need is at the church, but we will make do. We will dig in, see how he approached the text, and we'll we'll either agree, disagree, challenge, critique, analyze, add to, subtract from. Should be a fun study. You ready? Here we go. Dr. J. Vernon McGee getting ready to start. Jeremiah 14. He's just finishing 13. I don't know if you'll hear maybe the last few words there, and then he'll introduce chapter 14, and I hope you're ready. Here we go. When you're doing it like that. Now, friends, we come here to the 14th chapter of Jeremiah. Now, we are in a section from Jeremiah 14 through 17, and he gave this message here. Obviously, during the reign of Jehoiakim, as we saw Josiah the king during the last part of his reign, he ran ahead of the Lord, and he fought against Necho, Pharaoh of Egypt, at Megiddo. And there at the battle of Armageddon, while this man fell, Josiah died. And Jeremiah mourned. He was his friend. And Then the nation began to drop back into idolatry, and the plunge downward was terrible, and we'll see it here in this section. The first thing that happened was a drought. Now, verse 1, the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah concerning the drought. And it was a pretty big one, you see. And it had happened way back in the reign of Ahab. You remember Elijah's the one at that time was God's messenger. Well, now here again... And Jeremiah is the messenger for the southern kingdom. God sent a drought upon the people, and that was the thing that was a judgment from God. And the very fact that you see the barrenness of the earth, and you see the ground is cracked, he mentions that, because the ground is chapped, for there was no rain in the earth. The plowmen were ashamed, they covered their heads, That's verse 4 of chapter 14. Okay, a couple of things. He said this. My study Bible says this. We did have a commentary who who broke it up as like four separate messages. He seemed to, to describe it as like this message going 14, 15, 16, 17. My study Bible does the same thing. Chapter 14, verse 1 through chapter 17, verse 27. The message in this long section was delivered during a severe drought that hit Judah. Is this one message or is this multiple messages? Is it four messages or is it just, do we combine it as one? Now, of course, one commentary almost viewed it as four separate messages, right? So... I don't, I don't, does it, I don't, ultimately we know it's a message. Whether you break them down into four separate ones or group them together as just one long one, maybe, I don't know if it would have any massive impact on how we approach it. If you break it down as four separate messages, well, then you have, here's the beginning of this one. Here's the end of this one. Here's the beginning of this one. Here's the end of that one. And so you kind of interpret them 
alone. Like they, this is the one message and you have the beginning, the middle and the end. Here's another message and you don't really group them together per se. If it's just one message, then it's kind of all runs together. I, I don't know how you feel about it. Um, I like the four, I mean, we talked about this. If you look at chapter 14, verse one, the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah concerning the dearth or concerning the drought, right? That's chapter 14. If you go to chapter 15, then said the Lord unto me, it only like, I can see why some commentators would be like, well, see, this is a new message. The, the message started in 14.1. It ended at the end in verse 22, then said the Lord, then God brings him another message. That's chapter 15, verse 1. Then chapter 16, verse 1, the word of the Lord came also unto me saying, here's another message. Chapter 17, though, is you don't really have, do you have it here? The sin of Judah is written in a pen of iron and with the people and with a point of a diamond, it is graven upon the table of their heart and upon the horns of your altars. I don't, does it work that way in 17? Now, maybe does, does 16 and 17 belong together? Now, Dr. J. Vernon McGee did not really elaborate. My study Bible doesn't really elaborate. I, I, I don't know if it would have mass, massive interpretive ramifications. Like if I read it 14, 15, 16, 17, this is just one message. Then what do we do with these individual sections where then the word of the Lord came unto me? Then the God said to me, it's almost like it's distinguishing. This is now something separate than what just came before. Now, if you've been reading uh, Jeremiah this summer, by all means, elaborate. Tell me what you think. 14 to 17, just one long message or how many separate messages? Three? One commentary said four, but when you see those little hints I was looking for textually, that seems to be three, unless I'm missing something. What, What do you think? What do you think? I would love to get your thoughts. It may not have any profound impact on how we interpret it, but... You can let me know what you think. All right now. So, but we have a drought going on. We have a drought. We have a drought. That's the main emphasis here. Let, let's see how Dr. J. Vernon McGee handles this drought. And even the cattle did not calve. And when they did, why, they would run off and leave their offspring because there was no water to drink. And it would mean the death of the calf and the cow also. What a day it was. Now, all of that revealed the fact that God was judging them. This is one of 13 famines in Scripture, and all of them are a judgment of God upon the land. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you just got homework. (laughs) You just got homework. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to find, locate, Write down the references for 13 famines found in Scripture. According to Dr. J. Vernon McGee, there are 13 famines found in Scripture. 13. Now, if you determine there are more, let, it, let us know. If you determine that there are less, let us know. But can we find at least 13 famines in Scripture Please find find the uh, the scripture for each one. So you'd be famine number one. Or you can even label them where if it says where the famine is. Famine just but you know famine number one, famine number two. Give the scripture where the famine starts and does it show where it ends? Right. You may have the scriptures broken up. You don't have to go through you know fifteen chapters before it shows that it ends. But it begins in say chapter this and it ends in chap and ends in chapter this and the verse. Right. And if you want to write just a brief summary about the famine, like who did the famine affect and Is it always shown as being judgment? Is every famine in the Bible clearly shown as being judgment? Now, he says that that they are. This is interesting. What what would we find if if we studied every famine in Scripture? So, so see if you can identify. There's a special homework assignment right there, right? Extra credit, all right? If you haven't done any of the other studies, then this will give you one point for now. I'm joking. I don't know. I don't know the point system right now. Just do the work. Okay. 13 
famines found in scripture, all right? I would love to see what you can come up with, right? Email it to me, newsif at yahoo.com. All right, thank you, everyone. That's that's it. I'm just going to call it right there. We're just going to call it a night. No, let's keep working. Here we go. And it was to show the people as that land was barren and dry, these people had rejected the water of life, the word of God. And that was the thing that was happening spiritual to the nation. Ooh, this is good. Does, does, if it's true that there are 13 famines in Scripture, do all 13 famines serve as a picture of the spiritual condition of the people? Does the literal condition of the land and the physical condition of the people during famine, does it serve as a picture of the spiritual condition of the people? Like, hey, look at the land. Look at how dry it is. In fact, look at Jeremiah 14. Let me read it to you, all right? Jeremiah 14, verse 1. The word of the Lord that came unto Jeremiah concerning the dearth, that is the drought, right? Judah mourneth and the gates thereof languish. They are black unto the ground and cry of Jerusalem is gone, and the cry of Jerusalem has gone up. All their nobles have sent their little ones to the waters. They came to the pits and found no water. They returned with their vessels empty. They were ashamed and confounded and covered their heads because the ground is chapped for there was no rain in the earth. The plowmen were ashamed. They covered their heads. Yea, the hind also calved in the field. And forsook it because there was no grass and the wild asses did stand in the high places. They snuffed up the wind like dragons. Their eyes did fail because there was no grass. Does that literal physical situation, that literal physical condition, does it picture the spiritual condition of the people? Is drought, is famine and drought used 13 Famines, thir- now, I guess you would, are a famine and drought always synonymous with one another? Maybe I would probably assume so. But 13 famines, 13 droughts in scripture, uh, I don't know if they, if we can say they're synonymous, but, but he is obviously linking the two together. And every situation, you say, you see, look at that famine, look at that drought. That's the condition of the people. Look outside, see the drought, see the famine. That is the spiritual condition of my people. And have you ever felt yourself spiritually in a spiritual famine or in a spiritual drought? Now, if we take the bigger picture of Jeremiah, this works pretty good because they kept forsaking the living water. They, they and they started trying to dig out wells to, but they were digging out wells where that would not be filled because they were looking to idol, idols. They were turning to idolatry to fill them and they were finding themselves in a spiritual drought. But did they realize it? So, hey, let's give them a real famine, a real drought. They'll see that condition. Maybe they'll wake up and realize this physical condition condition of our land represents the spiritual condition inside of me. Have you ever found yourself in a spiritual famine, a spiritual drought? All right, let's, let's continue. Now, this man, Jeremiah, at this particular time, he went in to the Lord and he cried out to him, verse 7, O Lord, though our iniquities testify against us, do thou it for thy name's sake. For our backslidings are many we have sinned against thee. Now, Jeremiah takes his place with his people as being one of the sinners. No boasting here. It's so easy today for many of God's saints to be critical of other saints and they almost pray like the Pharisee. I thank you, Lord, that I'm so good. I do this and I do that. And I'm really a separated Christian. And I love you. And I'm just the nicest, sweetest little Sunday school boy or girl that you've ever seen. But old mean Mr. So-and-so over there, he's a dirty old man. And so-and-so, he never does anything for thee. And Miss So-and-so... She's a gossip and all that sort of thing. Now, Jeremiah didn't pray like that. Jeremiah identified himself with God's people, and he said, We've backslidden, and we have sinned. 
My friend, when you can take your place with God's people and go to God and talk like that, then you're able to go out and say something to God's people about the judgment of God. But until you can do that, I think that we ought to be very quiet about things. So we find this man... Now, I wonder if we could expand this principle, because you see the prophets doing this frequently in the Old Testament. They identify themselves with the sins of the people. They identify themselves with the sins of the nation. They confess the sins of the nation as their sin, our sin. They don't say their sin, our sin. Now, sometimes when they're rebuking the people, maybe they'll be more pointed. But especially when they approach God, they're like, well, we have sinned. Not just they I'm not, it's not like, hey, I'm interceding for them, God, because they're all messed up. Jeremiah's including himself. Oh, Lord, though our iniquities testify against us, do thou it for thy name's sake, for our backsliding are many. We have sinned against thee. Do you think God's people, I, I, I think we can, ex, maybe can we can, ex, can we extend this beyond just fellow Christians? Can we extend this to the, to the sins of a nation? As a church, should we identify ourselves with the sins of the nation and say, we have sinned, we have fallen short, we have turned back? Or do we simply stand and scream and condemn the world as being so bad and so wicked and so horrible and somehow we're so much better? Because the church is good at that. Look at how messed up the world is. Look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this video, look at this, look at this, look at this news, look what they did at the Grammys, look at this, look at this, look what Disney's doing, look at this, look at this, look, look at this, oh no, look at the Barbie movie. And we just go around condemning everything. Well, what about yourself? If we humbled ourselves and identified with the sin of the nation as being our sin, I don't know, what do you think? Clearly, the prophets do it frequently. They identify themselves with the sins of the people. I don't know, something to consider. Jeremiah now taking his place. Now, as we move on through this, we find that the darkness is gathering. And the people are stumbling on the dark mountains now. Verse 13, Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, the prophets say unto them, Ye shall not see the sword, neither shall ye have famine, but I will give you assured peace in this place. The false prophets were predicting peace and prosperity, and everything's going to be wonderful. And it wasn't. Their lives were such that God must judge them. Verse 14, Then the Lord said unto me, the prophets prophesy lies in my name. I sent them not, neither have I commanded them, neither spake unto them. They prophesy unto you a false vision and divination and a thing of naught and the deceit of their heart. They're just patting you on the back. You see, Jeremiah's a young prophet. Now he's very much alone with Josiah dead. And so he's wondering, is he giving the correct message? are the false prophets. This time, he's not quite sure. He's sure of one thing, that he's given God's Word, but he's not sure of himself. That's the picture of this man. And he goes to God about it. And the Lord says, I want you to know the false prophets are lying. I didn't send them. You're giving my message. Now you can... That's an interesting take. Do you think Jeremiah was coming to God maybe almost, hey, Lord, am I, am I really giving the right message? Or, or maybe all the prophets are right. Do you think Jeremiah was a little, was not sure? If we read this, if we read this again, Jeremiah, this is an interesting take. I've never, I don't think I've ever heard it preached this way. Jeremiah 14 verse 13, then said, I, Ah, Lord God, behold, the prophets say unto them, you shall not see the sword, neither shall you have famine, but I will give you assured peace in this place. Then the Lord said unto me, the prophets prophesy lies in my name. I sent them not. Do you think possibly Jeremiah was coming to God going, whoa, wait, are, are you sure I'm preaching the right message here? Because all these other prophets are preaching and it's completely different than my message. Now, that's, that's Jeremiah 14, verse 13. I'm going to read it from a different translation. Jeremiah 14, verse 13. Hang on, I'm looking down at my uh, study Bible here. Um, 
I know they don't. They don't mention anything here. <laughs> they, they don't mention any. Uh, they, they don't cover it. Okay, hang on. I'm going to look at it in this translation. Jeremiah fourteen thirteen. They had and um. Okay. Jeremiah fourteen. Uh, yeah, 14, 13. And I replied, oh, Lord, Lord God, the prophets are telling them you won't see sword or, or suffer famine. I certainly give you lasting peace in this place. Yeah, I, I, don't, know if I, I don't know if that translation really helps clarify it. Do, do, do you think God has to then reassure Jeremiah? Do you think, how do you read this? Do you see Jeremiah coming to God going, hey, Lord, uh, I'm a little concerned here. Because I don't know now if, I, if I'm even preaching the right message because all of these other prophets are preaching a different message. And then God reassures Jeremiah going, hey, hey, no, no, I did not send them. I did not send them. Now, my study Bible says this. These verses cite four methods the false prophets were using. They prophesied lies in the Lord's name. So in other words, the one thing that these false prophets use, they use the God's name. Uh, second, the prophet, uh, uh, second, they use false visions. Three, false divination. And four, they were speaking deceit from their own minds. So these f- false prophets were using four methods. Four methods. You may want to write these down and see if you, if you hold to these and, or, or that you actually see this in the text. We'll read the entire text again. They prophesy lies in the Lord's name. So they were using God's name. They used false visions. They were claiming that they were getting visions. They were using the idea, God gave me a vision. Three, they were using false divination. We may want to have to figure out exactly what that's referencing. And they were speaking deceit from their own minds. Now, let's go back and read this. All right. So Jeremiah points out, hey, there's these false prophets. Now, you can decide, was Jeremiah going, man, I don't know now. I don't know if I'm even preaching the right thing. He's not sure of himself. Then God helps reassure him. Or is Jeremiah more voicing a complaint? God, these people, the people of this land are deceived and are suffering because of the false prophets. How do you, how do you read this? This is interesting how we, uh, people can read this in so many different ways, but let's look at verse 14, Jeremiah 14, verse 14. Then the Lord said unto me, the prophets prophesy lies in my name. All right. So that's clearly they're using God's name. They're using God's name. False teachers, false prophets will always use the name of God because the name of God tries to give them some authenticity to their message. If their message is coming in the name of God, they're using Jesus, they're using the Bible, they're using God, they're, that, that gives some authenticity. Hey, they're preaching, they're preaching the truth. No, they're just using God's name. All right. Now, second thing that they use here, look at verse 14. Um, I sent them not. Neither have I commanded them, neither spake unto them. They prophesy unto you a false vision. All right. So the idea, now they claim they're using God's name. Now they're claiming the idea that they were given a vision. God showed them something. God showed them. So now they're, you could argue they're using uh, the idea of divine revelation, direct communication from God, right? So they're using God's name and they're claiming some kind of divine revelation. What is the third thing they use here? Well, they, you see, supposedly they use divination. In fact, the text says false vision and divination. Divination. Now, what do we mean by divination? Well, let's look at this from a different translation. That's 1414. Uh, they speak, uh, the prophets are, uh, these prophets are prophesying a lie in my name. I did not send them, nor did I command them or speak to them. They are prophesying to you a false vision, worthless divination worthless divination. Okay, well, this uses the translation divination as well. I'm going to look it up in a number of translations. Let's look it up in a number of translations here. All right, hang on. Let me go here. Here we go. Jeremiah. We'll go 14. 14. Jeremiah 14, 14. Here we go. Maybe. All right, here we go. New new international version. The prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I have not sent them nor point them. They're prophesying to you false visions, divinations, right? They use divinations. 
this one, the New Living, they prophesy visions and revelations that they have n- uh, never seen or heard. Right, so they don't mention divination. Um, worthless divination is the ESV. Berean Standard, worthless divination. King James divination. New King James divination. Um, New American uh, divination. So almost all of these. So let's go to the Blue Letter Bible app and see if we can get some kind of clarification here on what's going on. So I'm going to go here to the Old Testament, go into the book of Jeremiah, chapter 14. Let's go to verse 14 here, verse 14. Okay. And divination. It is this. It is this. Divination is this Hebrew word. Here we go. Strong's H, 7081. Kesson. 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 All right. Kesson, I think, is the correct way to say it. Kesson. Strong's definition um, divination, uh, divine sentence, or witchcraft. Divination, witchcraft of the nations, Balaam of false prophets. So really, they're using some kind of supernatural, some other supernatural way in order to supposedly get their information, all right? But please note, that's going to be done. They're using some kind of supernatural way to supposedly get their revelation or supposed to get their information. So the false prophets are using the following. They're using, listen, God's name. They're using the claim of a vision, which is false. They really don't see it. It's a false vision. They use some kind of supernatural way to supposedly gain information or revelation. All right. And then the fourth thing they use is... Um, and the deceit of their heart. They're using their own imagination, their own way, their own thoughts. Now, if you think about it, the key to everything is they use God's name. So they use God's name. Then they use visions claiming that they're from God. And, but then they're using some kind of supernatural, maybe like experience of something that they supposedly experience that gives them information. But reality, I think ultimately when it comes down to it, it's coming from inside of them. It's, as the King James puts it, the deceit of their heart. That's the method of the false prophet. There's four, four methods they use. They're going to come to you in God's name. They're going to claim to be giving revelation from God, but it's a false vision because God is not giving us any visions like that, especially today with a completed revelation. They're going to use some kind of supernatural, something is going to be happening. They're going to claim they're getting some kind of information from some supernatural experience, some kind of, now here, divination, witchcraft, but they're, they're approaching something in some supernatural way, but not from God. And then they're going to be relying on the deceit of their own heart. That's the method of the false prophet. Now, I don't know. Dr. J. Vernon McGee believes Jeremiah was questioning his own message and doubting it and thinking, well, maybe the prophets are right. And God's like, nope, the prophets are wrong. I don't know if Jeremiah is questioning himself or not. You you can draw your own conclusion. But let's see what else Dr. J. Vernon McGee had to say about this entire section. See, that'll put that man right back on the firing line again. Now he says in verse 17, Therefore thou shalt say this word unto them. Let mine eyes run down with tears night and day, and let them not cease. For the virgin daughter of my people is broken with a great breach, with a very grievous blow. Now, this message was breaking his heart. Jeremiah was weeping as he gave this message concerning his people. But God wanted the people to understand that that's the way he felt, that Jeremiah was his man, not only giving his message, but expressing his feeling. And I'm of the opinion that today we need to recognize that all of us are witnesses. And if you're a child of God, you're a witness. And you're saying something by your life. And we need to be very careful that when we speak the Word of God, that somehow or another our lives conform to it, that we're not giving it in a cold-hearted manner that there must be feeling in it. And if there's not, something's wrong, radically wrong. Now, this man, Jeremiah, brokenhearted, 
wants to go to God and pray for his people. That's very pious and very fine. And you know God says to him here something that's quite wonderful. He says to him, chapter 15 now, verse 1, Then said the Lord... Okay, now we have to stop. He jumped down to chapter 15, verse 1. All right? Now, he kind of interpreted 17 in kind of an interesting way. Uh, Therefore, thou shalt say this word unto them. Let mine eyes run down. Is this God giving Jeremiah a message to go tell the people, hey, everyone, let your eyes run down with tears night and day. Let them not cease. And the reason you should continue to cry is for the virgin daughter of my people is broken with a great breach with a very grievous blow. Then verse 18, if I go forth into the field, then behold, the slain with the sword. If I go forth into the field, then behold, the slain with the sword. And if I enter into the city, then behold them that are sick with famine. Yea, both the prophet and the priest go about in the land that they know not. Hast thou utterly rejected Judah? Hast thy soul loathed Zion? Why hast thou smitten us? And there is no healing for us. We look for peace and there is no good. And for the time of healing and behold trouble. We acknowledge O Lord, our wickedness and the iniquity of our fathers, for we have sinned against thee. This is an, this passage is very difficult to follow because wait a minute. Is God telling Jeremiah what to say to the people? And then at some point does then Jeremiah pray to God? Because this section is sometimes referred to as Jeremiah intercedes. So now Dr. J. Vernon McGee went flying past this. He, he went flying past this and I can understand he, he, he had to get through the entire Bible in five years. We're trying to get through the entire book of Jeremiah and the, and the summer of 2023 and we're already finding it difficult. I will say this section is very complicated and trying to figure out, wait a minute, who's speaking to whom? If I look at this section in a different translation, this one is labeled Jeremiah's request, but note Jeremiah 14, 17. Look how it reads in this, in this translation. You are to speak this word to them. This sounds like God telling Jeremiah to speak to the people. Now, is all is from the rest of 17 all the way to 22? Is this Jeremiah's words to the people? Look, look at it. Let my, because he says, you are to speak these words to them. Then I'm going to, I'm reading in this translation, Jeremiah 14, 17. Let mine eyes overflow with tears day and night. May they not stop for the virgin daughter of my people have been destroyed by a crushing blow and extremely severe wound. Now you could, you could see that as Jer- Jeremiah telling the people this, Hey, weep and cry because this is the condition. Now, but then what happens in verse 18? If I go out to the field, look. Those slain by the sword, if I enter the city, look, those ill from famine, for both prophet and priest travel to land they do not know. Have you completely rejected Judah? Do not detest Zion. Is that now Jeremiah praying to the back to God? Like, I, who's speaking to whom here? The first part, verse 17, seems to be like, this is God telling him, go say this to the people. Then in 18, is this then Jeremiah praying back to God? Hey, Lord, if, if I go out here, this is what I see. I see destruction. And then does Jeremiah say in verse 19, God, have you completely rejected Judah? Do you detest Zion? Why do you strike us with no hope of healing for us? We hoped for peace, but there was nothing good for a time of healing, but there was only terror. Now, what's confusing here, doesn't Jeremiah understand what's going on and why it's going on? So why is he now acting like, like, Lord, where are you? Is he, or is he he reflecting the words of the people? I, I don't know. And then verse 20, we acknowledge our wickedness, Lord. Now, is this Jeremiah once again identifying himself with the people? We acknowledge our wickedness, Lord, the iniquity of our fathers. Indeed, we have sinned against you. For your name's sake, don't despise us. Don't disdain your glorious throne. Remember your covenant with us. Do not break it. Can any of the worthless idols of the nation bring rain? Or can the skies alone give showers? Are you not the Lord, our God? We therefore put our hope in you, for you have done all these things. So is 17, what God tells Jeremiah to say to the people, and then is verse 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, Jeremiah praying to God. I, it, it seems a little, 
it's really hard to follow. And then all of a sudden, chapter 15, immediately, then the Lord said to me, now, is this a new message? Or is this now God responding to what Jeremiah was praying at the end of 14? Let's see what what, uh, Dr. J. Vernon McGee is going to do with the beginning of chapter 15. Unto me, though Moses and Samuel stood before me, yet my mind could not be toward this people, cast them out of my sight, and let them go forth. Now we are moving over the borderline where there is absolutely no help or hope for the people. They have gone now too far, and judgment is coming upon them. And he says, why, Jeremiah, don't you worry because I'm not hearing your prayer and I'm not saving the people. Why, he says, if Moses stood before me, and you remember Moses was a marvelous intercessor. God said he would destroy the people and would fulfill his promise through Moses. Moses went in prayer before God, and God helped back the judgment and did not destroy the people, and he brought them into the land. And now if Moses was present, God says, it wouldn't do a bit of good now. And if Samuel, and Samuel could pray, you remember, for the people, and again and again judgment was averted, because of Samuel. But now, even if Samuel was present, God says, I wouldn't hear him. These. Okay, now, again, there's, there's much debate on how to read the last part of 14. I, you know, who, who's praying? Is it the people crying out? Is it Jeremiah crying out? If it's Jeremiah crying out, then it makes sense, chapter 15, verse 1. Jeremiah is praying. Jeremiah is crying out. He's crying out to God. And then in chapter 5, so in chapter, the end of chapter 14, if that's Jeremiah crying out, which I think maybe it makes more sense. And by all means, you, you can work on this yourself. Remember the Bible study exercise. I don't try to give you all the answers. You can, you can struggle with 14, 17 through 22 yourself. You can struggle with it. But if it's Jeremiah who basically starts praying to God for uh, basically identifying himself with the people, then what happens in 15 may be somewhat shocking because then the Lord said unto me, though Moses and Samuel stood before me, yet my mind could not be toward this people, cast them out of my sight and let them go forth. Hey, Jeremiah, you just as well stop praying. You can pray and pray and pray. It's not going to change anything. And guess what? If Moses and Samuel showed up, it's not going to change anything. My study Bible states it this way. Even if great prayer warriors, such as Moses and Samuel, came before him, they could not persuade God to change his decision. The people have gone so far in sin that no prayer would help them. Moses successfully interceded for Israel a number of times. So did Samuel. But Judah was now beyond hope. Now, they were only beyond all. Now, this is very important. This is very important. They are only beyond hope for this coming judgment of the 70 years in Babylonian captivity, right? That's, they're not, they're, they're beyond hope to stop that. They are going into Babylonian captivity. That's, and no prayer is going to change that. No prayer is going to change that. But God is telling Jeremiah that. Look, you can pray at the end of chapter 14, all of those words, but wait, 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 let me tell you, let me tell you, it's not, it doesn't matter, doesn't matter, doesn't matter, not going to change anything. Now you may say, well, what, what do we do with that? Well, when <laughs> God's not going to tell you when not to pray about something. So you, for us, we just pray about it, but we, but the point is God is sovereign, God is sovereign. So God's plans going, I know that can, that raises lots of questions about prayer, right? If God, if God's made up his mind and this is God's sovereign will, you're not going to change his will. Right? But at the same time, we're commanded to pray. Now, I think the more, I think what we're really, I think what, what we always forget is prayer is about changing us, not about changing God. Prayer is about changing our mind, our focus. It's not about changing God. I really do believe that. I think we've got it all. We always think prayer is about changing God. Prayer is about changing us. That's something we could we could talk about later on. But let's move on in, in chapter 15. Let's see see if we can get, maybe, I don't know. Can we get 15, 16, 17? I don't know if we can. Let's see how far we can get. 
people now have stepped over a borderline. Now, you can understand this man giving a message now of nothing in the world but judgment. And I'm just going to lift out one verse here at verse 5. For who shall have pity upon thee, O Jerusalem? Or who shall bemoan thee? Or who shall go aside to ask how thou doest? Thou hast forsaken me, saith the Lord. Thou art gone backward. And that's backsliding. Therefore will I stretch out my hand against thee and destroy thee. I'm weary with repenting. I'm tired of you coming and saying you're going to do better. And you weep, but you go right back and continue the same sins. God says, now the time has come, and I intend to judge you. Well, that problem... It's the human problem. No matter how many times we repent, no matter how many times we say we're sorry, we always return to sin. We never truly stop sinning. And when you're living your life under a law-based system, if you're living your life under a covenant that requires you do this, 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 and this, and this to get blessed, and if you don't do this, you're going to get cursed, then God, then you're going to end up in judgment. You're going to end up being destroyed and people are going to die. So something new is going to have to happen. There's Instead of a covenant based on any kinds of work, it's going to have to be a covenant purely of God's grace where God does everything. And that's the new covenant, which he will make with the house of Judah and the house of Israel in Jeremiah 31. And we've talked about all of the major theological implications of that. All right, let's continue listening. That doesn't make Jeremiah popular. Now, Josiah was his friend, but not Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim, an evil man. He doesn't like this man, Jeremiah, at all. He's now, remember, there's Jehoiakim. Now, I sometimes say Jehoiachin only because it draws a greater distinction. I think it's actually pronounced Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, Ken, Kim. All right. Make sure you uh, don't confuse those two. I think we had a little, I think we had a little bit of confusion on... Was it Sunday? Was it Sunday night? Recently, we had an issue there with Jehoiakim and Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim. Now, it's, and I think it's spelled, G, uh, in fact, I, ha- I think I have it written down right here. I just want to make sure that you note those differences and you don't confuse them. Uh, yeah, J E H O I A C H I N. Right, J E H O I A C H I N. I say Jehoiachin a lot of times just to draw that distinction. I know it's probably it's not right. It's Jehoiachin, but just note Jehoiachim, Jehoiachim. Kim is K I M, not C H I N. So Jehoiachin, Jehoiachim. Just make sure you know them. Them. You can look up the, the differences between them. In fact, um, if you, if in fact, if I'll. Just to see if I can find it really quick. Yeah, Jehoi Kim. Jehoi Kim. Uh, was sometimes spelled a different way. He was the 18th a king of Judah from 609 to 598 BC. And he's the second son of King Josiah. All right. That's Jehoi Kim. All right. Now I'm going to try to pull up. Jehoiachin, or Jehoiachin, Jehoiachin, let's see, that's pronounced differently. Wait, that's a completely, there we go. Jehoiachin, or Jehoiachin, uh, Jehoiachin is also referred to as Jeconiah uh, and Kaniah, ruler in Judah for three months and 10 days. So he ruled for three months and 10 days in 597 uh, BC before he was taken captive to Babylon. He was 18 years old when he began to rule and did evil in the sight of the Lord. All right. Jehoiachin or Jehoiachin's father, Jehoiakim. There you go. So there is the connection between the two. Just note, note the difference because sometimes it's, it's a little, you'll like, no, Jehoiakim. No, Jehoiakin. Chim, Chin, Kim, right? Just, just so that you know that and you just see that. Because I think we, I can't remember exactly what happened in church. 
I don't remember, but I just want to make sure we at least take a little extra time there just for clarification's sake, just in case that there's something on a recording that's not correct. But I think we corrected it in the church. I think we got it right. But I think I just started saying Jehoiachin. I think that's how I pronounced it to just show the difference between Jehoiakim and Jehoiakin. But just note that there are two different ones. One's the father, one's the son. One only ruled for three months and 10 days. And then he was taken captive to Babylon. And it was 18 years when he began to to rule. Jehoiakin's father, Jehoiakim, was the good king, uh, was a son of the good king, Josiah. There we go, right? Now you can get all of that information. Just sometimes it can get confusing with the names, very similar, sound the same, and uh, you can then start confusing people. So, all right, here we go. Let's continue. He's a fly in the ointment. He's causing trouble. Now, will you listen to Jeremiah? This man, in spite of the fact that he's a weeping prophet, and he gives this very difficult message to give. He really had a sense of humor. He he went to the Lord and he cried out in verse 10. Listen to this. He says, Woe is me, my mother, that thou hast borne me a man of strife and a man of contention to the whole earth. Why, he says, nobody likes me. And I gargle with Listerine, and they still don't like me because my words are terrible to them, and they don't care for them. Now- I don't quite read that as uh, I don't quite read that as humorous. I don't I don't think he has a sense of humor here. I see that as woe is me, my mother that has borne me a man of strife and a man of contention to the whole earth. There's an exclamation point there. I read that as someone who's very frustrated and upset about the entire situation. I, I don't see, I don't see humor in that. I, I don't, I don't. Again, this is the thing. This is the thing about the Bible. You read this and people impose emotions on the text or an idea or, or what, because he's already done that once thinking that about the false prophets, Dr. J. Vernon McGee took the idea that, that Jeremiah was like, wait, I don't trust myself, Lord. Are are you sure they're the false? Maybe I'm the false prophet, but I I don't know if that's exactly what was going on here. And here he sees it somewhat as humorous. I don't see that as humorous. I see someone who's very frustrated and broken and just probably tired of the entire situation. That, that's how I see it. That's how I see it. Now, listen to what he says. I have neither lent on usury, nor men have lent to me on usury. Yet every one of them doth curse me. And that's a very interesting thing. Jeremiah says, I don't lend money to anybody, and I don't borrow money from anybody. And friends, that's the one way you can lose friends. A man, he's a Christian man. He told me about how a man came to him, was a professing Christian, wanted him to let him have some money. And I think the man was foolish to let him have it. He told him about a project that he had where he could turn the money over and double it in a very short time. Well, he didn't double it. He lost it. And he couldn't pay him back. The fact of the matter is they broke up a good friendship. It wrecked a relationship that they had. If you want to lose friends, start loaning the money, friend. And Jeremiah knew that. Jeremiah says, you'd think I'd been loaning money around here. Nobody wants to speak to me. Nobody's interested in me at all. Now, Jeremiah, at this time, turns to the Word of God that was written, that been found, and he says, verse 16, the words were found, And I did eat them, and thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart, for I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. Now, this man took the word of God that had been found, and he found his consolation. He ate it. He digested it. It became part of him. Oh, how we need today to get into the word of God. And not just this little surface thing of learning a few little rules and having sort of a little school where we learn some steps that you take. My friend, we need to get in the Word of God. And if you get in the Word of God, God can take it. And as he did for Jeremiah, brought joy and rejoicing to the man's heart. And only the Word of God can do that. Now, this... And that's really a a very deep question to ask yourself. Have you ever 
truly found joy and rejoicing in the word of God, even when your circumstances are falling completely and utterly apart. Jeremiah's situation is not good. Jeremiah is alone. Nobody likes him. He's seeing pain and suffering. Jeremiah is hated by the people. He's got false prophets contradicting him. He's not in a good situation. But then in the midst of that real literal situation, then he says, listen carefully. Um, oh, see, thy words were found and I did eat them. And they, the word was unto me, the joy and rejoicing of mine heart. Has God's word ever truly been to you the joy and rejoicing of your heart? And if it hasn't, it's just something to ask yourself. Why Why are you not finding joy and rejoicing in God's word? What is it? Now, in some ways, joy the word of God doesn't bring joy and rejoicing because it shows you your sin. But then it points you to the gospel, which should be joy and rejoicing. I mean, he still suffer, He still acknowledges his suffering. But in the midst of the suffering, God's word was joy and rejoicing. Have you truly ever experienced that? This man finds that he's in real difficulty. His hometown, you remember, they got rid of him. They didn't like him. And his own family rejected him. His brethren would have nothing to do with him, and his life is really in danger. Verse 21, God says, And I will deliver thee out of the hand of the wicked, and I will redeem thee out of the hand of the terrible. God says, You just stay on the firing line. I'll take care of you. Now, the days are getting more difficult now. The nation is coming to the end. Okay, we'll stop there. I was just going to go ahead and press on, but we're already at uh, over an hour, and I think we got about 18, well, I don't know, he's just, he's going to go through 16 and 17 rel- relatively quick, because he's got 18 minutes to go through 16, 17, 18, and 19, so I don't know exactly how that's going to play out, but what we'll do is we'll stop right there, and we'll come back in another episode, give me about five minutes, and then we'll knock out 16 and 17. So we've looked at chapter 14, we've looked at chapter 15, a lot of very important issues there. Uh, what I want you to do, the main two things I want you to do. First, I want you to identify the 13 famines slash droughts that are in the Bible. 13. Okay, I want you to identify them, see if they're being caused by drought, and then ask yourself, hey, does these famine and droughts that were literal, do they picture the spiritual condition of the people? And then ask yourself, have you ever found yourself experiencing spiritual famine and drought? And if so, like, just think about that. And then I want you to remember the, the four methods of the false prophets. I want you to to remember the four methods of the false prophets, because I think that was very, very important. Uh, The four methods of the false prophets were, if I I got them written down right here, uh, the four methods of the false prophets were they they did, they, um, they prophesied in the Lord's name. They used the Lord's name. They used false visions. They used divination or some kind of spiritual way to supposedly be getting, you know, revelation or information and some supernatural experience. And then they were using the deceit from their own minds and their own hearts. There you go. And we'll stop right there. And there's much more, much more we could, we could do here much more. All right. But the 13 famines, find them, identify them. And it just, Hey, did they picture the spiritual condition of the people? And, have you ever felt that? Then those four ways, the four things, the four methods that false prophets use, I want you to consider that. I want you to consider how they use that so you won't be deceived by it. And then I guess really the third thing, I will add a third thing. Have you ever, has God's word ever been truly joy and rejoicing to you no matter the circumstances you were going through? And if it hasn't, why not? There, we'll stop. You can email me all of your homework assignments, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. All right, we'll be back here shortly. What time is it? It's 6.16. I'll try to get started by no later than 6.30.
and then we will we will finish this out. We will finish this out and uh, see if we can conclude a summary of 14, 15, 16, and 17, and then leave chapter 18 for uh, Sunday at Victory Baptist Church. So our goal is to do a summary of two more chapters, and we'll do that coming up in about 15 minutes. So be ready to tune back in. In the meantime, email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. And I'll end with the words of Jeremiah 15, 16. Thy words were found, and I did eat them, and they and thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. For I'm called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. Thanks for, li- thanks for listening, and may God continue to bless you as you continue to study the book of Jeremiah for this summer of 2023. God bless.